Good afternoon. It's Midday Magazine for Tuesday, October 3rd. I'm Shelby Herbert. Petersburg's hospital board heard public testimony at its meeting last Thursday about its trial childcare programming. Last year, Petersburg Medical Center partnered with Kinderskog, a local nature-based childcare program, to host after-school youth programming. As the pilot programming wraps up its first year, it's scheduled to go under review by the hospital board. The idea for the partnership arose from a child care needs assessment funded by the Petersburg Community Foundation, the results of which underscored the scarcity of child care options for working parents in the community. At the start of last week's hospital board meeting, four community members gave impassioned testimony for PMC's youth programming. Molly Tiber was one of them. She said all Petersburg residents should be concerned about child care availability whether they have children or not. This makes a difference in how businesses run in our community. This need dictates if our co-workers, neighbors, and relatives can come to work or keep their jobs. The quality of staff, the activity level, and leadership skills that are learned daily with this program is invaluable to me as a parent and to us as community members. The final public testimony of the night came from Katie Homeland, PMC's youth program coordinator. She's stewarded Kinderskog for several years, and she said it's been a long journey. This is a program that I have fully invested myself in because our kids are worth it. And under PMC, not only has the program grown substantially in terms of capacity, it has allowed me the support that I needed in order to become an advocate at the state level. Homeland said PMC is now viewed across the state as a leader in child care programming. She, alongside Medical Center CEO Phil Hofstetter, testified to the state child care task force about barriers to child care on September 20th. Hofstetter also attended the annual Alaska Hospital and Healthcare Association conference last month, where attendees showered PMC's youth programming with praise. In his report to the board, he said representatives from other hospitals were approaching him with questions about how to replicate PMC's success. Uh, one of the hospitals actually came up to us and said, can I get the, the person who started the program and you want to do the same thing? So really uh, strong compliments on that program. At its next meeting on October 26th, Homeland will debrief the hospital board on the pilot program. Then, board members will decide whether or not the programming will continue. Tenakee Springs will vote on whether to join the Southeast Alaska Solid Waste Authority, or CSWA, today. Assemblymember Steve Lewis, who submitted the ballot proposition, says joining the regional coalition would be a first step towards addressing the Chichikov Island community's garbage disposal problems. It's gotten really expensive to, to ship stuff south, and um, Juno's landfill is just about full, so they're going to have to start thinking about shipping things south. Without other options, he says Tenakee Springs residents are turning to less savory methods. A lot of people burn their trash on the beach and that may include some plastics and things like that can be a problem. So um, they don't get it completely burned. It ends up floating off and ending up as marine debris. Solid waste disposal is an ongoing problem in many Southeast communities. In Petersburg, costs are slated to go up by 34% next year. Chris Cotta, the chair of CISWA, 
says the organization's goal is to reduce costs and increase the efficiency of solid waste disposal region-wide. He says that member communities banding together means more bargaining power in contracts. You know, harnessing the power of numbers, um, when there's more of you, you do have more bargaining power. CISWA is also eligible for funding that's earmarked for regional organizations. Cotta says they're currently applying for a grant that could bring as much as half a million dollars to CISWA. CISWA's bylaws require communities to vote to join the coalition, which currently includes Petersburg, Wrangell, and several communities on Prince of Wales Island. Tenakee Assemblymember Steve Lewis doesn't expect the proposition to be controversial. There are no fees to join, and the community can vote to leave the coalition at any time. So it's it's kind of a win-win situation all the way for small communities or any communities as far as I can tell. The State Division of Elections reports 132 registered voters in Tenakee as of May 2022. If the ballot proposition passes, the Tenakee Assembly will initiate a working relationship with CISWA later in October. Wrangell's borough manager says he'll be stepping down from his position on New Year's Day to take a more flexible job with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Sage Smiley reports. After two years at the helm of the city and borough of Wrangell, Jeff Good says he'll step down at the end of the year. It was tough to put in the resignation letter. We have a great staff here, a great crew, and they do they do tremendous work. And it's been great working with them. I, I feel a little guilty because I, you know, definitely set out to do a lot of things, and we've made a lot of progress and and a lot of projects on the horizon that I really wanted to, to complete. So I feel like I feel a little empty because I still want to get those things done. But at the same time, we got a great staff here and I have all the confidence in the world. They'll, they'll do great and continue to do great things. He's accepted a position as the Division Chief of Water and Power for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. While it's a national position based in Colorado, Good says he'll still live in Wrangell. It's a civil engineering position, mainly overseeing basically the water and power resources for the Bureau of Indian So all of the, the tribal nations in that region I'd be working with them for their water and power rights. Good says, while it was a hard decision to make, he's making the switch so he can prioritize family. His dad lives down in the lower 48 and turns 80 at the end of the year. And his sister and son are down south as well. It would allow me to travel back and forth a lot more. Uh, Every time I left here, we'd go on vacation. Again, I just felt guilty about even being on vacation. So I just wanted to be able to have that opportunity to spend more time with my family, especially as my dad's getting older and and just really did, didn't have that opportunity over the last two years to spend as much time with him as I wanted to. Good submitted a letter of resignation on September 27th. Coincidentally, the letter came almost exactly two years after the previous borough manager resigned to tend to family obligations. Good moved to Wrangell in 2020 after retiring from the U.S. Coast Guard, where he'd served for more than two decades. Prior to his retirement, he was the commanding officer at the Coast Guard Base Kodiak. He was hired on as interim borough manager for Wrangell in November of 2021. After three months in the interim position, Wrangell's assembly hired Good under a 3.5-year contract, which was set to end in June of 2025. Good brought engineering experience to the borough manager position as a licensed professional engineer and facilities engineer in the state of Alaska. Asked what he's most proud of in his time as borough manager, Good spends a solid two minutes listing the accomplishments of the staff in every borough department, from utilities to administration to the library. It's really just the accomplishments of the people that I've been able to work with here. 
But Borough Mayor Patty Gilbert doesn't hesitate to praise Good himself for his leadership. His commitment to finding solutions, helping the assembly and the administrative staff find solutions to our problems. He's authentic. He has good engagement and guidance in our progress goals for the borough, and I valued his insight, and he has that mathematical engineering mind that blended well with our goals of, of uh, developing and in rehabilitating our infrastructure. So I think that was a good fit at the right time for the borough. There are lots of irons in the borough's fire, Gilbert says, from a major update to the island's water treatment plant to renovations of the community's public safety building and schools. She says she hopes the local government can keep continuity between administrations. She's not sure yet whether the assembly will pursue an interim manager or go straight to recruiting a longer-term manager to step into the role. My biggest concern is that I don't want us just to tread water until we get a permanent uh, borough manager. I want us in the interim to continue our forward progress. Good still has about three months left on the job and says he intends to keep moving major projects forward throughout that time. Beyond the day-to-day, Good says he's thankful to have had the opportunity to serve as borough manager for the past two years and gain an understanding of the hard work that goes into running a borough. So I think kind of getting to peel the curtain back and seeing everything they do every day on a day-to-day basis, I think that's really been rewarding for me to be able to see that and then just kind of seeing the inside of the, the government process and how it works. And then I know it's slow sometimes, but there's reasons for it. Mayor Gilbert says Wrangell's assembly is set to formally accept Good's resignation and discuss the recruitment process for his successor at its regular meeting on October 10th. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. The Center for Biological Diversity intends to sue the federal government over a new marine highway in Alaska. The environmental group says the U.S. Maritime Administration, which designated the new highway, is violating the Endangered Species Act. As Maggie Nelson reports from Unalaska, the center believes the highway could pose a threat to several protected species, including humpback and North Pacific right whales. Jared Margolis is a senior attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity. He says Marad should have consulted with federal environmental agencies to ensure that certain species and their habitats wouldn't be threatened by the new marine highway. The regulators designated this, this new marine highway route, which goes right through critical habitat for the North Pacific right whale, uh, which is a highly endangered species that's susceptible to ship strikes, without giving any consideration to what that means for the species in terms of targeting this area for increased vessel traffic. Merad did not respond to requests for comment. The Maritime Agency designated the new highway called M11 in mid-August. It will add more than 6,500 miles to Alaska's marine highway system. It includes waterways in the Bering Sea, Bristol Bay, and the Arctic Ocean, and it covers ports from the Aleutians up to the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta and around the North Slope. The infrastructure for the highway is not yet in place, but the designation opens federal funding channels. According to the Center for Biological Diversity, protected species such as fin whales, humpback whales, polar bears, and bearded seals live and migrate along the route. Margolis says it also puts the critically endangered North Pacific right whale at risk. With species like the North Pacific right whale, the death of even one mother or calf could really impact the continued existence of this species. Um, so these are, you know, these are animals that have been on this planet for quite a long time, and, and we're driving them to the edge. 
He says these species are already struggling to survive as climate change threatens their habitats. This is sort of compounding that impact by saying, all right, we're going to target this area for increased vessel traffic. We're going to give potentially millions of dollars to private companies and ports to do things to increase their uh, you know, ability to put boats on the water. More vessels, he says, mean more ship strikes and more pollution from things like fuel and oil spills. Margolis says the center isn't aiming to completely shut down the route. They just want some checks and balances, some policy in place to protect these vulnerable populations. Where do we want to see vessel traffic? How do we want to see it develop? What do we need to put in place uh, safeguards to ensure that vessels are not harming species? Um, And how do we Uh, collect data on impacts to species under this program so that there isn't death by a thousand small cuts. He says the Endangered Species Act requires agencies to ask those kinds of questions, to consult with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or the National Marine Fisheries Services before designating new marine highways. What would be the outcome? In Margolis's opinion, it should result in program-wide criteria and safeguards for tracking and minimizing harmful impacts. The center is giving the U.S. Maritime Administration a deadline, 60 days to make changes, or they'll launch a lawsuit. He says he's hopeful Marad will be responsive. Reporting for KUCB, I'm Maggie Nelson. Sitka's Artisan Well will be getting an upgrade this fall. Starting in October, the U.S. Forest Service will be installing a pump system to provide consistent flow and reduce waste. One downside to the upgrade is that, strictly speaking, it won't be an artisan well anymore. Meredith Reddick reports. USFS spokesperson Rebecca Peterman says for years, users of the free-flowing water source have seen diminished and unreliable flow. Restoring flow requires expensive maintenance every few years to remove buildup. The output has been decreasing for years, and several years ago, um, we went through sort of a refurbishment process, and it improved things for a while, um, but then it declined again. The Sitka Ranger District started looking for a longer-term solution. They applied for funding through the Great American Outdoors Act and received $167,000. That covers design, permitting, and construction of a well pump. The installation of a pump will mean that Sitka's well will no longer technically be artesian. That's what the artesian part of that means, um, is it's just free-flowing. Peterman says the pump system will mean major benefits for users, Sitkins can expect higher flow rate and less waste since the new spigots can be turned on and off. And that's another reason uh, why we think the pump is a good idea, because we're basically pulling water out of the aquifer and then spilling it onto the ground. So whatever people aren't collecting is really just coming from our aquifer and, and becoming groundwater. She estimates that after renovations are complete, the water flow rate will increase from under a gallon per minute to about two gallons per minute. Some of the spigots will also be insulated, so users will be able to get water even when outside temperatures drop. A Wasilla-based contractor, Aklutna Construction and Maintenance, designed the pump system and will install it. So they're going to be doing that rehabbing of the well. They're going to be um, adding the pump to the existing well casing. They're going to be doing all new plumbing for that work as well as electrical. Peterman says once work begins, the well will be shut off for at least a month, but it's hard to estimate exactly how long the well will be inaccessible. You know, we don't really have a specific 
idea of the exact amount of time that they will need. It will really depend on how the process goes. Once the pump is constructed, the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation will have to recertify the well before it opens up to the public. The work is slated to start sometime in October. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.